So we have uh, been studying a book in the Old Testament, and based on the song that the kids sang this morning, uh, if you weren't here before, do you have any guess what it might be? It's the book of Exodus, right? And we have been in in it for two weeks. We're about to get uh, to the place where we engage the character of Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And, uh, and, and we met Pharaoh in week one as this, uh, this really ominous character, the, the worst character that we have met in the Bible so far. He has turned the Israelites into slaves. He is killing their babies. Uh, he, he is a, a real bad dude. And, and, and finally, in chapter three, as we, we were working through the narrative this last week, God had stepped onto the scene. He said, I have seen the suffering of my people. I have heard their cries, and I am uh, going to lead uh, my people out of slavery. And he called forth this man named Moses, uh, who we met, to to be the one that, that would deliver the people, that would be his conduit for uh, freeing people from their oppression. Moses was the one who was supposed to go up to Pharaoh and say, oh baby, let my people go, right? Um, maybe just like that, right? And, uh, and we're actually going to get into the story of the plagues um, ne- next week, b- because as I was working through the messages, it occurred to me that th- there's a whole other bit to this story. Uh, after Moses calls out, after God calls out Moses to, to deliver his people, where Moses responds, where, where we're able to see how Moses deals with the calling of God. And it really provides us this wonderful window into understanding uh, some of our own hearts and, and hesitancies as we look at the call of God in, in our own lives. And so today, we're actually going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 4 um, in, in order to, to see how, how Moses responds to what God is doing in his life. If you brought a, bu- a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to um, Exodus chapter 4. We're actually going to read a couple verses in chapter 3 to reorient ourselves. If you didn't, there's a Bible in the, in the chair in front of you. I'd really encourage you to pull it out. It'll be on page 46 in that Bible. Let's go ahead and, um, let's go ahead and pray before we read the scripture. Lord, we thank you for your word. We are so grateful for uh, just all the ways that you are at work in, in our lives and just that this um, is so often one of them. Lord, as we uh, have this incredible opportunity to open up the Bible where you have spoken to us, where we see your love and your son and your will and your ways, that we would have hearts that would be ready to soften enough to to hear what you're saying, and we'd have minds that would engage it so that we could move forward in becoming more like your son, Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read uh, Exodus chapter 3, 7 through 10, and then I'll pick it up in chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out of that land, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. 
I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Chapter 4. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. (laughs) Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the, then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, but I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. And Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. So this last New Year's Eve, um, we were at a celebration. Uh, The family was, and we were at a small apartment with our kids that was not tremendously kid-friendly. It wasn't the funnest evening for mom and dad, and that became very apparent when um, the dog that was in this apartment, which was the center of attention for all of our kids, uh, was, was roaming around and being chased by the kids, and the four-year-old Johnny, who is ever curious, uh, got on all hands and fo- all, all fours uh, without consulting his parents and decided to start chasing around this dog. And as you might guess, sure enough, about 10 seconds later, all the adults hear this huge crash on the other side of the room to look over and see that a beautiful um, antique lamp and picture frame had been knocked on the ground, right? So all the adults are looking at Johnny, and he gets up, and he he knows he's messed up big time. 
and he looks at us, and as fast as he can, he just starts rattling off excuses, you know. Uh, uh, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't see the table. I was chasing the dog. Um, um, I'm scared. And then, and then, uh, <laughs> and then he kind of had this moment where he paused for a second and realized uh, that there was a better excuse. And so he kind of turned his body, and he looked around for the dog, and he saw it, and he pointed at it and said, it was the dog's fault, right? <laughs> and, and I was reminded of that story where Johnny's offering all of these excuses because when you read Exodus 4, doesn't it seem like Moses is really doing kind of a similar thing, right? He is, is rattling off all these excuses that come to his mind why he should not do what God is telling him to do. God is doing this incredible unfolding act of redemption where he has heard the cries of his people, where he's going to step in and deliver them. And, and Moses is the one who gets to, to, to be a part of it. He's got this great privilege. And what do we see Moses doing in this passage, right? Offering as many excuses as he can think of for why he should not do it. And what I I really want to do is kind of bear down and look at these excuses because we can see ourselves here in Moses, especially as we think about the things that God is calling us to do. Here's the first one. Moses' first excuse. People won't believe me. People won't believe me. And it's actually uh, right there in the first verse of chapter 4. Moses answered God, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? First thing uh, I think it's important to, to notice about this excuse is that actually it's really pretty reasonable. Most of the excuses that we bring up are there is some good rationality behind them, but uh, God had spoken to Moses. God had had spoken directly to a human being. Right there, that is enough to worry about being believed, uh, other people believing your story on that, right? Uh, You're supposed to go to somebody else and say, God spoke to me and he told me to do this great thing. And then think about if some of these Israelites were to dig a little deeper and say, Moses, how exactly did that happen? You know, he was like, well, I was watching my father-in-law's sheep in the desert walking. There was this bush that was burning. It wasn't burning up. And so I walked over to it and it spoke to me. And it was God, right? You know, and everyone, like, immediately body postures are going to get defensive, right? Right there. And then, and then he's supposed to then say, and God told me to tell you that he's going to lead us up out of Egypt. This is an incredible thing that, uh, that, that Moses has, has, has happened. It's very reasonable for him to say, I don't know that they're going to believe this. You know, another thing that's relevant um, here is actually Moses' personal history. We didn't have time to read this when we work through chapter 2. If you were in the devotional, you did get to read this. But there's a really important event that uh, happened in Moses' life that led him to the place where he was shepherding his father-in-law's sheep um, in, in the deserts of Sinai. If you remember, Moses was born one of those babies that Pharaoh was trying to kill right? And so he had this rather incredible, unique thing that happened where his mother put him in a basket in his river to save his life, and Pharaoh's daughter was the one who ended up finding him. And so Moses was, was raised as Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter's own in the royal palace. And so even though he was a Hebrew, he had a culturally Egyptian upbringing, 
and not just any Egyptian upbringing, a royal Egyptian upbringing. This was a young man who got to be part of the highly educated, elite, royal class in Egypt. I mean, this was a very unique uh, uh, type of life that he lived, and he thrived in it, actually. We know that because in the book of Acts, there's uh, this, this uh, statement about Moses which says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. And so he, he was not only given this privilege, he also was educated and did really well. He got great in speaking, and he could back it up with his actions. And so that's kind of uh, what happened in Moses' upbringing. But what, what we read in Exodus 2 is that one day Moses was walking around outside of the palace, right? He stepped out of this really niche existence that he was living, and he was walking around in Egypt, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, right? And and Moses would have known that the Hebrews were slaves. Moses actually would have been... uh, educated in the royal palace, and we know this because we have archaeological documents that tell us kind of what royal Egyptians were being taught, but that these Hebrew slaves were not even people. They were less than people. They were literally something material to get something else done, and and this would have been Moses's like, he would have been told this, but he sees this happen for the first time. He knows he's, he's Hebrew by blood, and, and, and something in him snaps, right? He just cannot handle this. And so what, what happens is that Moses waits till nobody's looking, and in his anger, he goes and he kills this Egyptian that was beating this Hebrew slave, right? And so that's a huge event in his life. And he thinks, actually, in the moment that, that he's gotten away with it, but it's not, not what happens. In fact, a few days later, he learns that some people had seen it. Uh, not too long after that, Pharaoh finds out about it, and he's trying to kill Moses. And so Moses then flees the royal palace, goes to the deserts of Midian, and then meets uh, uh, a while later a young lady and marries her and starts a life there in, uh, in Midian. And so this man who grew up in Egyptian royalty is now shepherding somebody else's sheep in the middle of deserts and has been doing it for decades. I mean, this is quite a, a, a turn, and, and that's what happened in his life. And so when he's called, right, you can understand some of his hesitations. One, he's known as a murderer. He's got this reputation behind him. And two, he's not even really fully Hebrew in the same way that all the other Israelites had been. He, he's kind of Hebrew, but he, he really uh, had a different experience in life. He didn't know what it was to be a slave. He didn't get beaten. He didn't know that oppression. You know, frankly, Moses probably even spoke with a different accent than other Israelites because he lived in a different world. And so it's very reasonable for him to think, if I'm going to walk over and tell these Israelites that God has freed them, that they're going to be like, who are you? You know, you don't even talk the same as us. You don't know who we are. Why, why should we listen and, and believe you? You know, have you all ever been in a, um, in a position that was kind of like that one when you were worried about your, your background or your pedigree and how it related to the thing that you were kind of doing in, in the present moment? You felt like there was some limitation or barrier by the mere fact of who, who you are. What comes to mind here in my own life was um, actually a time 
when uh, it was my very first experience as a missionary, and I was living in Africa, in Zambia, and uh, spent the entire summer there. And one of the weeks that I was there, uh, I was asked by these African pastors to lead a week-long conference where I would teach young people, like college age or above. And, um, and it was absolutely terrifying. One, because I was just a college student who was there for the summer. I had no uh, experience preaching whatsoever. Wasn't something that I like exactly wanted to do. And, uh, and, and two, because of the inherent differences between my life and the lives of these African young people. That was what was really intimidating for me. Like, these were kids who had grown up in mud huts with no doors and no bathroom, right? Th these were kids whose parents, if they had parents, uh, at best made $2 a day with a good job, right? Th these, these were kids who had such limited opportunities that, that I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even wrap my mind around what it would be like to, to grow up in their shoes. And so uh, I remember thinking, th they're not going to believe me. Like, they're not going to want to listen to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up there and they're like, oh, who's this American who's lived this life of privilege? You know, what, what does he have to say, say to us? You know, and that was the thought going through my mind. And I actually uh, went back to those pastors and told them, look, I'm scared. I don't want to do this, and, and here, here's why. Uh, you, you know, another thing that I think comes up in our lives when we offer this kind of excuse, what if they don't believe me, is, uh, is that we think that our past is a problem. We worry about something that we've done. We're worried about our credibility. There, the, there is some sin or something wrong in our lives that disqualifies us from doing something in the present or the future. I know a lot of people deal with this, especially, actually, when it comes to leading in the church be, because they don't feel credible. They, they did this thing, they, and, and, they, um, and they're not sure exactly that they can ever, like, take that role of leadership, like that they could teach young people or ever be up here on the stage uh, they say, you don't know what I've done. And in fact, um, in conversations, I've, I've heard that uh, a dozens of times, actually, with people. And, um, and, and let me say, I do think that there is some wisdom in having self-awareness of how our past affects our present and our future. But uh, one thing I always tell these people is, isn't the Bible full of heroes who have pretty big dingers in their past? Like, isn't this story of Moses exactly one of them? Moses was a murderer, and it still didn't disqualify God from, from calling, calling him. And, and further, uh, what I often point out is, and this is especially true in this passage, is that when God calls us, there's, there's a power behind us. That, 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 that is this thing that really trumps all of our excuses. And, uh, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, but, but those are things that we deal with when we think about the, I, I don't know if they're going to believe me excuse. Here's the second excuse that Moses brings up. I don't talk too good. I don't talk too good. It's funny, when I gave this slide, uh, I had two people say, You're, are you sure you got that right, David? You know, the, the, there's not an O on the T, the second O. Yes, that was intentional, right? I don't talk too good, okay? Right? Uh, you guys got it really well. Um, and, and it's here in uh, the scripture in verse 10 where this excuse comes up for Moses. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. He's being really kind and nice here. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past 
nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of, tongue, of speech and tongue. One thing that's really interesting when I did some study on this uh, verse is that this phrase, slow of speech and tongue, may have been an ancient way of communicating that Moses actually had a speech impediment, like that this was a man who struggled with stuttering, and or uh, this was just a a fellow who really struggled to to articulate the thoughts that were in his mind. I had a, a friend who said that his mouth was always trying to catch up with his brain, and, I, and, and maybe that's kind of what was going on here for Moses. And this is actually kind of what he's saying to God. God, have you not heard me just right now talking to you, right? I, I, I can't even get the words out of my mouth. Why do you think that I'm going to have the courage to go stand up to Pharaoh and represent you and speak publicly before all these people, right? And so this is his second excuse, and this is one that I think uh, you know, the vast majority of the population can, can uh, appreciate. We do not like to speak publicly, right? We do not like to stand up and represent uh, a large group on a big stage, certainly not God. You guys have probably heard this phrase before that people fear public speaking even more than death, right? I don't know where that comes from um, or if it's true or even how you would measure that, like to figure it out, right? <laughs> like, are you checking off boxes or like putting a gun to somebody's head or you speak or die? You know, like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But, but I, what, what I can say is that like, w- we know this one anecdotally. We have experienced fears of public speaking. This was not something that I'm doing now that I ever wanted to do. There's a lot of fear involved in getting to this place. And I, I have a lot of actually rather hilarious experiences in my life and on this journey to learning to, to speak publicly that I could share with you. One simply, um, uh, I took one preaching class in seminary. And, uh, and we, we had it with our other classmates, and the way it worked is you'd learn a little bit about preaching, and then two times in the class you had to preach before your professor and all of the rest of the students. And your professor would be judging everything that you did, and so would all those other students, right? Exactly what we fear about public speaking, except you're even that much more under the microscope. And, uh, and one thing that I noticed when it was uh, the week for certain classmates to preach, is that they would just seem to c- get sick on that day, like, like a lot more frequently than normal folks did. And so I, one of them was my friend, and he, in, he came back, and I, uh, you know, the day after he was supposed to preach, and I said, man, I'm glad you're doing better. Were you okay? Uh, you know, the professor said you had the flu, and he goes, he goes, hmm, I, I was throwing up, <laughs> but I didn't have the flu, right? <laughs> and, and then it's just, I mean, that's how people feel about this. And so it's really understandable that this would be one of the excuses that Moses brings up. He just doesn't want to do this. He thinks he isn't the guy. He may have been mighty in word and deed as a young man, but now he's been decades in the desert with sheep, and all he feels like he can say is, bah, right? right? So, uh, so that, that's excuse number two. Excuse number three. Moses says, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. This comes up in verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Again, he's really polite. Lord, please send someone else. And you know what I find really interesting about this being like the last of uh, the many excuses that he gives is that it's not even an excuse. 
right? This isn't an excuse. It's simply uh, a statement of his desire. It's a deflection. He is trying to shut down the conversation by saying, God, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Please send someone else. And you know, I think that this is also a place where we can all very much see ourselves in because when we don't want to talk about something, when there is something that we just don't want to deal with anymore, what, what do we try to do? Shut down the conversation, right? This, is, this isn't just Moses. This is David. This is you. This is human nature. This is something that all of us do. And one of the evidences is all these little phrases that we've learned to use when we don't want to talk about something anymore. Like, for instance, oh, can we just table this for now and come back to it later, right? but we really haven't talked about it all that much yet, right? Or, honey, I just, I just can't talk about this anymore, right? You ever, you ever said that one? Or, have, haven't we already had this argument, right? Or, this doesn't really matter, does it? No, and you know that it actually does. You just don't want to talk about it. Or, he, here's the one that, that, I've, that, that sometimes um, I've encountered. You, you just don't understand, right? You just don't understand. That doesn't continue the conversation. That's shutting it down. And I don't have time to get into this, but what I have noticed in myself when I use these phrases is that what I'm doing is actually guarding some other deeper thing going on in my heart, right? There's some vulnerability there that I don't want to expose, right? Uh, There is an insecurity that I have. There's something that I'm worried about that I don't know how to engage. There's something that I just don't want to open up about yet, or I'm protecting it because I want to remain in control in this kind of situation. And I know if I open up, I'm going to lose control over it. And so what do we do? You just don't understand. We, we deflect. We try to move it away from ourselves. And this is exactly what I would suggest to you is happening with Moses. And with Moses, there's even a deeper question going on in in his life, and it's the question of his identity. And if you track it back a little bit in this conversation into chapter 3, that really comes forward uh, where where God says to Moses, now go, you're going to go release my people. And Moses replies, he has this response where he says, who am I? God, who am I? Verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11 Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out out of Egypt? He he doesn't think he can do it. That's the core issue. He, he, He doesn't feel like he's worthy. He doesn't know what his identity is. He's got a low self esteem. And, uh, and isn't that also like the basis, what's deeper there in so many of our own hearts? Like, our fears are so often related to insecurities about who we are, right? But here's what I want you to know and what I think is actually so wonderful about this passage. Do you realize that, Mo- that God never speaks to Moses' self, low self-esteem? He not once directly addresses Moses' low self-esteem. Read back through chapters 3 and 4. Never happens. God um, uh, and d- doesn't say, Moses, Listen, man, look, you used to be mighty in word and deed. You, you used to speak so well. You'll figure this out again. You, you'll make it happen. God doesn't say, Moses, you're so smart. 
You're well-educated. You used to get stuff done. You're going to rally up these Israelites. You're going to have the strength to go take on Pharaoh. It's going to happen for you, right? That, that, that's not even that bad a thing, right? This is something that we need to do for our friends. It needs to happen for us to speak to sometimes our insecurities and our low self-esteem. That's fine, but God doesn't do that in his passage. And, and why is that? I think it's because this wasn't about Moses. This wasn't about Moses. And so what, what's that core question that he's asking? Who am I? His identity crisis? Who am I that I should go and do this? Do you remember last week or chapter 3, how did God reveal himself to Moses? Right? What, what, was, what was it that he said? I am. Right? So the question is, who am I? And God replies, I am. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So in identifying who God is, he gives a name, which it really isn't a, a name, but a statement of, of God's character that he is and has always been and will always be and is constant and unchanging and unwavering. And, 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 and do you see then this, this relationship between the two questions, the, the question that Moses asks and the statement of who God is? Moses says, who am I? And what does Moses need to remember? God says, I am. Right? Moses' question is, am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Do I know enough? Right? It's all questions of his identity. And God responds not by putting it back onto Moses, by, but by saying, Moses, this isn't about you. This is about me, right? And when you think about the way that God responds to each and every one of the, the excuses he brings forward, it's always a statement of, I am, right? Excuse one, Th these two excuses, they won't believe me. So what does God do? He gives Moses a supernatural power, signs beyond his natural ability to show that there is something beyond Moses that is with Moses. A staff turns into a snake, uh, water turns into blood, a hand becomes leprous and then not leprous. These are shows of power which are signs so that as the New Testament said of Jesus, you would know that, that God was with, was with him, right? That's the idea there. Excuse number two, Moses says, I don't talk too good. And what does God say? Verses 11 and 12, who gave human beings their mouths? It's not, it's not about you, Moses. I'm the one who invented speech. I'm the one who is telling you to speak. I'm going to make this happen. You need to quit worrying and thinking about yourself, right? You know that story that I shared earlier about um, being in Zambia and being scared to go talk to these 150 young people? Um, and I told you that I went to the pastor and I said, I don't think I can do this. My life is too different. I've never been a Bible teacher. I, I don't know what to do. That pastor so wisely just looked at me and kind of smiled. And he said, David, that's fine, right? Because this isn't about you. <laughs> and, and that was such a helpful thing in my life. And, and I offer it to you. Let me leave you with this thought. What is God calling you to do? Is there a part of God's unfolding plan of redemption that he has put on your heart, that he is, he is nagging you with that he's drawing you out of right are there limitations are there excuses that you're bringing up that keep you from doing that right is it your credibility is it your past is it your insecurities is there something else uh, maybe the answer is to remember when you're asking questions who am i 
that this isn't about you. This is about who God is, right? When you're wondering who am I, remember that God is your great I am. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this incredibly honest, real interaction that, that we get to see in the life of Moses, this, this hero, this giant of faith, um, as he is in these very early steps before God. And I just, I pray that uh, as we see his weakness, we can relate to him, and that as we see our weaknesses, we can relate to him in the way that he leaned into God and the way that, that he remembered who God was. And I just pray that you would speak uh, confidence and life in, in, into who we are based on who, who you are. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.